Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Batman Edition. We are talking Batman Returns today. I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards from Pacific Beach. Joining me, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions in the closet from Chula Vista. Hello, Tom. Must you be the only lonely man beast in town? <laughs> How great is he? Oh, Alfred, I, I mean... Michael Guff. It's pan. It's pan movie though. How good Michael Goff's Alfred is. I don't think there's ever a a dip there. I mean, they have him doing ridiculous things in in some movies compared to others, but I think the performance is. I, I, the, it, to me, it doesn't yeah. feel like the performance ever ends. We just we just only see. <laughs> mm-hmm. We only see the three movies. I think in between those movies, he's still Alfred. Fucking great. He keeps. I think he keeps up his duties between movies. That's yeah. what. It, that's yeah, what his right. performance exactly. feels like. Yes, he is like he is the he's he the is rock not of an this actor. Series. He is the character. Yeah, he's the rock of this series. Is I mean him and Commissioner Gordon, uh, but <laughs> Commissioner Gordon becomes the, more of a buffoon. Oh man, the, I was gonna say that like what you notice about Pat Hingle. From the first Batman movie. Where he's a competent police officer. Where he's a competent police officer in charge who people (laughs) look to. And what he becomes by the time he's in Batman and Robin. Is Basil Exposition from the Austin Powers movie. Oh, yeah. It's. Literally. He appears on a car screen like Michael York in Austin Powers. Yes. Fucking great. All right. With a technical mustache. Got his great moment of acting for for the poison ivy scene. It's kind of like what Key and Peele said about um, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh God, people are gonna kill me. From Al from Die Hard too. At least I got the character name right. What's the name of the actor? <laughs> Al Powell. Yeah. Fuck. Michael. Wait. At least we got the Die Hard 2 character down. Oh, shit. That's all that matters. Anyway, about in, you know... I've been drinking beer, Tom. <laughs> um, But, you know, but how, how like, how his role uh, in, what was the Morphed. name of the show? Hmm? Family Matters? Family Matters, yeah. Like, what he became in, like... Reginald Bell talk- Johnson. Reginald Bell Johnson, his kind of, like... Off screen arc of basically disappearing while Urkel, you know, accelerated Ascended, into the limelight. Yeah, right. It's kind of the same for Commissioner Gordon here. It's <laughs> like he's he he's part of the crime fighting team at the beginning of the Batman movies. By the end of it, he is like fucking Oliver Hardy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's insane. But 
We're not there yet. Today, no. ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Tim Burton's vision, Batman Returns, a 1992 film. I mean, if you don't know Tim Burton, I don't know what to do for you. I'm not going to list all the movies, but they are there are many and they are varied, but they all feel like Tim Burton. Sure do. All right, Tom, this movie... And also German Expressionism. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. So at play in this movie. Oh, my God. This movie has a 1920s movie fetish like I've yeah. never seen. Yeah, for sure. And is all the better for it. This movie, has, this is uh, for the sequels we're talking about, this movie by far outweighs the others. 80% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. But... I think has a reputation of being a weak se- sequel, yeah. uh, probably monetarily. It had an $80 million budget, got more than half its money back on its opening weekend, $45.6 million, gathered $162.9 million in the USA, 266.8 cumulatively in the world. Hmm. So, uh, look, look, this movie's a smash hit. Right. And yet, it has this reputation of being unsuccessful. Yeah. Which kind of pisses me off. It pisses me. I mean, it. It's all. I mean, it's all about the elephant in the room, which is, uh, the the nineteen eighty nine Batman. Mm-hmm. What that did financially, and also, you know, what it was on screen versus what this movie is on screen. Yes. So, you know, we we talked a little bit in the um. In the minisode uh, that I mean, you you said quite rightly is that this you know the original Batman is muffled Burton, so there are yeah, Bert, Tim right. Burton touches, but basically it's a studio uh, uh, superhero big screen adaptation, you know, right. and largely largely an action movie. Uh, this movie is is incredibly you know it it's almost entirely character based it's yes it sees its characters psychologically um it's very very political which is something that really struck me this time yeah uh, in in a way that you know if you're watching this movie now you 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 find that it's actually really resonant in what it says about gender and wealth and uh mm-hmm. And the media, um, you know, when we also talked a little bit about how it's just Tim Burton style, let loose, unleashed, unleashed, right? Um, you know, the the if you think about the original, the original Batman, it, it because I think largely because of Jack Nicholson and and the Joker and where that that storyline takes you, it felt like a kind of a piece of film noir or a gangster movie. Well, and both this, these the, movies feel very noir. But this is like an adult fairy tale. That's where I put this. Right. It feels like. It feels it feels more like to me like fantasy, magic, fairy tale, but also, I think more, adult in the themes it covers than Absolutely. the original Batman. Like, yeah. the psychosexual stuff here, is. Through the fucking roof. Fucking great. Yeah. I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel comfortable showing this to anyone under twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I know I'm a prude about these things. 
But that's but, a big complaint for the movie. And to your point, because I'm looking at the numbers right now, that first Batman movie, by the way, a budget of only $35 million. Live is, accounting from Michael yeah. Shantz on the Everything Sequel podcast. But it grossed in the USA $251 million, which is almost $100 million more than this sequel and over four hundred in the in the world. So I guess you could see why studios started getting cold feet about a third movie from Tim Burton. Yeah, I think that's what happened. It's funny. This is far more about Tim Burton as an auteur, and you can see why the studio wouldn't be interested in that, especially in a movie that marginalizes Batman to the extent that this one does. Yeah, that this movie does. But it just seems to me that they did not know. Nobody knew what to do with this movie when it came out. Yeah, I fully believe. I fully understand that. Yeah, it's well, I mean, you know, how like right from the outset of this movie, it's reframing itself as an entirely different genre and, you know, and also a completely different focus. This is this movie to me is. You know, Batman is almost the villain of this movie because we're getting so much through the perspective of the villain of the, you know. Well, the... and that, but that's a Tim Burton thing, right? I mean, he. It's this brilliant. Movie is yeah, it's great. This movie is it's clearly a, it's, it's, it's a it's an inversion the that... point of view of the misfits. I'm this I'm mo- just this you is know a I'm Catwoman Penguin movie. <laughs> it is the it is the, it's Catwoman versus Penguin, featuring Batman. Actually, no. Featuring Shrek with Batman. <laughs> and, I, you know, I already already did the statistics in the in the mini. So 13 minutes before Batman's mentioned and appears. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 more minutes before he appears again. Don't care. No. You, and you know what? Also, because of how great it's done. The, the only the, thing, the, the theme only thing... of duality in this movie to me yes, yes, is yes, yes. fucking amazing. Yes. And this idea that we wait so long to see even Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And the idea that he's just sitting in a darkened room, essentially waiting to become his alter ego. And then the Batman logo appears yeah. is like, it gives me chills even just talking about it right now. But, but it's That's also fucking great. But what's also brilliant in terms of like because you know there are there are un- unanswered questions about the, from the last movie about you know what happened to Vicky Vale and that kind of stuff and that opening shot of him alone in that dark room I'm like guess he's not with Kim Basinger anymore. No, no, <laughs> yeah. that relationship did not work. And they, you know, and they speak to that in the in the. So it's actually it's very skill. It's a very skillfully done piece of sequel writing. Uh, they don't make too much of a big thing about it, but they they eventually address. But they why they that, address it. Yeah, yeah. They give a story reason, and interestingly, me, as only... you just said, it was difficulty with duality is uh, the reason given to why that didn't work. So right, not they they find a thematic way to get around the fact that Kim Basinger's not in this movie, which is great. Which makes sense, yeah. And I think that's the most remarkable thing to me about this movie in general is how deftly it handles what came before it with yeah. what's happening now. Completely. And I, I think one of the one of the things that 
that really interests me because uh, I mean you know I'm talking de- I'm talking devil's advocate about you know I'm thinking you know what would what would what would a stupid person think or what would a studio executive I don't know why I'm differentiating the two um, <laughs> would think like I'm trying to get into their heads in terms of what I actually think is that marginalizing marginalizing Batman certainly in terms of screen time compared to the original and and whatever else comes afterwards. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true. On paper, you see that he's not in the movie as much. The focus isn't on him as much. But the focus is still on him because yes. Penguin and Shrek are like grotesque parallels to Bruce Wayne. Right. Like they, they're, they're both, um, you know, they're, they're both grotesque images of wealth the fu- the the parent child dynamic being orphaned um, and, and we have you know, a cold open in this movie a literally cold open a literally a literal cold open in which a baby eats a cat <laughs> that is some dark shit well that's it i mean immediately you know uh peewee herman yeah. people screaming doctors dry heaving a penguin in a box eating a cat we were immediately <laughs> in the world of horror Yes. In a way that the first movie Well, and is in the not. world of Tim Burton. It's it's specifically horror and the the imagery is much more kind of mid-century gothic than gothic, than right. the original yeah. ever went. Like the first thing you see, uh, Cobblepot Manor is like Victorian gothic. Um and uh you know that all the imagery of the snow, the children's choir, the baby. Well, in the and you river. notice, like they, you know, when they are gonna dump their baby into the whatever the stream or the river, it's not really a river, but they pass another couple who have a baby carriage. That baby carriage is white; theirs is black. Right. So you well, have that, that well, sort it. of I mean, imagery going on. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that t- that like Tim Burton. I wouldn't say brought to uh, Hollywood cinema, but he kind of revived in Hollywood cinema because, you know, film noir is based on this too, is, is you know, German expressionist cinema, uh, you know, your, your, your Fritz Langs, your Nosferatus, your G.W. Pabst, all the way through to, like, Metropolis, that kind of visual style, which is all based on stark contrast... Mm-hmm. black white shadow yeah. light is just so at play here and yeah it, it's always it's something that that characterizes tim burton's directorial style but here it, it it's it's not hidden behind anything else like it's got nothing else to compete with it's just running riot yeah and it's beautiful and this cold open is a, is the the perfect example of encapsulation that encapsulation of that right um, you know the cobblepots. Uh, you know Paul Rubens is the cobblepot patriarch. You know they're like Roald Dahl esque variations on the Wayne family. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And at the same time, again, speaking to that like push and pull between the the nineteen sixties TV series version of Batman and um and the kind of comic book version of it, it's really striking that. Uh, Oswald Cobblepot Senior, played by Paul Rubens, looks exactly like Burgess Meredith Penguin. Yeah, right. So, and then of course when you see Danny DeVito for the first time, it's a reimagined Penguin look, 
And so that sense of like we got we're in familiar. They Batman even have territory. a moment where they stick the 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 cigarette in the in the sort of the the whole the the case holding in his mouth for him when they're asking him to be mayor and he spits it out. Yeah, you know, right. they, it's really fun. But it's never it's never, and I think you're absolutely right in saying that this this walks the line of between those two visions of Batman the best because. Penguin especially, and I'd say with Catwoman as well, feels new and familiar simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I never, I never knew much about Shrek, but I, I think that has less to do with whatever that character is in Batman and more to do with Christopher Walken, which I'm fine with. Totally, <laughs> absolutely. You put Christopher Walken in a movie; he's not beholden to anything but being you Christopher put, Walken. Yeah, you put Christopher Walken in a movie and give him a strange gray wig. I am on board. <laughs> and great. you know the other, the other hugely, the other thing that really surprised me about this movie that I'd never clocked before. I don't know why. It's a Christmas movie. Oh, I was just going to, yeah. It's one I of the love, biggest Christmas movies ever. I love that this movie is set at Christmas. It I really is set imagery. at Christmas. Yes, I there love the There are two snow. tree lighting ceremonies. Two. two. Because the first one went so awry. The second one didn't go great either, let's face no. it. No, <laughs> the second one was worse than the first one. <laughs> And there's a there's a big Christmas party. There's mistletoe at the end. Uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Alfred says Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. I mean, I don't know why no one talks about this. Like, why yeah. it's not on the list. I mean, it's bad enough that Die Hard Two Die Harder isn't like considered along with Die Hard <laughs> as a Christmas movie. As much why, of a Christmas movie, right? Why Batman Returns isn't like the... automatically in the Christmas movie canon. I have no fucking idea. Right. Like people should sit down and watch a Christmas story <laughs> and then Batman returns. <laughs> maybe that maybe like you said no one knew what to do with this movie. Maybe they should have sold it as a Christmas movie. Maybe it should have been called like Batman colon Yuletide or something like that. Can you imagine? Right. Well, and the thing is is for some people, uh, certainly at the time, people did not know what to do with this movie. Yeah. And I think now there are two camps, people that know what to do with the movie and people that have dismissed it from the first moment they saw it. Yeah. Do you think that this movie's better than the first Batman? It's really difficult for me to say because... I've seen the original Batman way more times. I had the VHS. Right. I wore down that VHS. I I watched that movie to death. Um I so I I I, I did the same thing. I rev- I loved that movie so much on my first viewing. And obviously we talked about the numbers of that movie. So it was a massive hit. I I myself have never been an enormous comic book person, so I don't, I don't come at it from the history of comic no, books. Me I neither. know no. some people were very upset about his cowl and the cape and how things look. Fuck him. This isn't fuck him. Yeah, so fuck them all. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, me too. I I gotta tell you, you you throw that Superman logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You go ahead and throw that logo. You go ahead and do the date rape kiss. 
but <laughs> but uh, I think people I would, know what I, we feel about that already. I, yeah, exactly. For the longest time, I would not really entertain the idea of this movie being better than the first one because, like you, I I just I had seen it so many yeah. more times. I I just loved that movie so much. I think this. You movie... and I were talking privately, where I I you know you had said I I can't yeah. or maybe I I think I had said uh you know all all of a sudden out of nowhere I was seeing all the Batman's were like playing in rotation on 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 movie channels yeah and let's do it and just because I hadn't seen it in a long time I I watched it like a month and a half or two months ago or right however me too. long it was me too and I watched it, it was within upon the past year. Yeah. that viewing and. For our audience members, our special guest star uh, from our last, for the 1982 singles episodes, Matthew Aldrich and I had been talking. And I remember years ago he had said, I think Batman Returns is the better movie. And I right. thought, you're fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's and upon this viewing, I watched it and I thought, oh, shit. I think this is a better movie. You you, you know what is is also a factor is like, I, cause yeah, I, 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 I'm partly, partly a, a product of having seen Batman too many times and having not seen this enough. I feel like this movie has way more to offer me. Yeah. Upon subsequent viewings, I think that might be true regardless of that. I think this, like, I think this movie bears repeat viewings way more. Um, yes. But I. I also wanted to, you know, we, I think it's more interesting. We 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 talk we've been talking both on and off mic about how the way that we've seen these movies in the past affects our feelings about them. I I yes. feel like part of the, I mean, you know, I had the VHS of like the commercial VHS of, of Batman, so you know, I can see the movie uninterrupted, you know, I can watch it whenever I want. Batman Returns was seemingly I only ever watched it on television on right. like commercial television with commercials with so many of my family around me that like <laughs> three generations of chatty you know like my grandma there was one point I guarantee I watched Batman Returns with three generations of of women in my family like my mother, my grandma, and my great grandma <laughs> were in the room. I'm not get. I'm not getting like that. I'm not getting the kind of tunnel vision I need to watch right. this movie. To what? Yes. The commercial you're, interruptions you're are one perspiring thing. Perspiring from worry about. Yeah, and their I just thoughts want, and feelings. So you know, I'm having to deal with their reactions, them talking yes. over everything, and I realized upon this viewing how much of this movie I didn't really understand. Yeah, right, right. One of the things I didn't understand until this viewing was that, and this is partly Christopher Walken's performance to blame as much as anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm using blame in a pejorative. I don't mean that pejoratively. Uh, (laughs) When he goes, like, maybe it was like a commercial break. Maybe it was, you know, mother in one ear, great grandma in the other ear. But I genuinely thought when, when Shrek went into the sewers with penguin penguin hypnotized him and then he then he was like doing penguin's bidding for the rest of the movie and that's not <laughs> what happens at all no, shrek is using all. him right <laughs> as a political uh, tool yes for his own means so i got to factor that in as a reason why uh but but there is 
How'd you think that? I mean, there's a great joke even when he's what's that supposed to when he's twirling the umbrella and it's spinning in front of him, well, the but, black and white. Well, what's you that know, supposed you, to you can, and, and he's looking at it as though he's hypnotized. Well, it doesn't take it doesn't take up, a, what's that supposed to hypnotize me? He goes, no, just give you a splitting headache. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that probably at that moment my grandma was telling me about someone she'd seen at the bakery. <laughs> and all I'm seeing is the spinning thing. I'm going, oh, he's hypnotizing him. Right. Um, That's great. But regardless of that, you know, I, I mean, just to be, you know, I don't particularly want to get into the things that don't work about the movie, but... There is a there is a kind of I've talked about this before a kind of muddiness uh, uh, this at the level of script like this movie is so good when it comes to character 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 yeah. psychology like yes. everyone's perspective like the, all the villains perspectives and objectives are so are clear so evident right and sincere believable relatable all those things when it comes to like what's actually going on in the story like who's aligning with who who's dead who's not who's half dead who's a magic person who's a scientific right. freak like it's very unclear um to me that's like the movie isn't really interested in that side of things so it's phoning no. it in which is fine because it compensates in other areas but I can see how that would irritate people who are a little more literal minded about yeah about movies. All right, but for for me, you know, again, Tim Burton was holding back so much of that imaginative side of his directorial personality in the original Batman in the first movie, movie. and he was yeah. putting it more into stylistic flourishes and touches. Here, it's everywhere. It's like pervasive in the movie, and I think. You really have to tune into, you know, you you should, you really need to tune into the to the Beetlejuices and the and the Edward Scissorhands. To understand, yeah. And you know, Nightmare Before Christmas worlds to kind of that's that's the better gateway for this than the original Batman, I think. Sure. All right. Well, we're just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. So I haven't even talked about Catwoman yet. No, we're gonna get to that. It may be the best thing in '90s cinema. We get back. So, we're just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back, and we will continue talking about Batman Returns right after this. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. 
They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas, guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing the 1992 film Batman Returns. You know, I'm, it just occurs to me, Tom, that that's another thing about this movie. This movie's made in 1992. It, because of Tim Burton, it feels timeless. It doesn't feel like a 90s movie. Doesn't nope. Be, you know. It, it only, only in, I mean, only in the good historical sense of, you know, you can read so much of uh, what was being reevaluated in society at the time with regards sure. to, to gender and wealth. But uh, so it might it, it might feel less timely if we'd done anything about those things. Right. Yeah. If we had an inkling of making the world a better place. I because because I had a moment in the I had a moment in this movie where I realized that that Batman Returns was the idealized version of the Trump narrative. Like, <laughs> because at some point I was like, basically the, the, the platform that Oswald Cobblepot is running on as mayor is what Trump ran on as as, as president, like Drain yeah. the Swamp. It's the same thing. Uh, and the same thing happened where, you know, there was a recording of him committing, talking about committing criminal acts that was released publicly Bush, it was the Billy the Billy Bush tape, which did not matter. But in this movie, right, it, that's it. it, it, it so, I'm yeah. so, so like in this in this version of the story that ends Penguin's political career. Yeah. Trump, it's not even a stumbling block. So nope. I'm like, it's like we're the we're the dystopia. Gotham City is like the the utopia. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to our reality, and it was so many moments where you know I thought, and you know, and all the time I'm thinking. When it comes to Catwoman, who you know, well, we, I was just gonna we say, spend like yeah. a whole podcast on. I'm thinking it's like I cannot literally think of a more interesting feminist character since in Hollywood cinema, and I can only think of worse versions of this, including Catwomen. Yes, right. I was just gonna say, <laughs> including all um, the Catwomen that have preceded this Catwoman. And then I was, you know, I was like. Uh, you know, I was thinking, it's like, well, everyone talks about how how uh, prog- gender progressive the Avengers movies are. And I've not seen all of them, but it's like, I, I think there's too many of those movies where those women are working unchecked as men's secretaries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway. So, but that's another that's for another that's for another podcast. That's for that. another podcast. I agree. But, it, but I just I just couldn't believe how out of the gate. Uh. Like all, you know, it, it's so overstated in Hollywood cinema. Anytime you get any female character who's got an inkling of a badassery or like or hits a man in the face that she's she's, you know, a more empowered character and a more kind of gender liberated character. She's a female activist, fem, uh, like a feminist activist. That That's. That's all real in this movie. Like this is yeah. the only one of the only ni- certainly nineties movies, one of the only Hollywood movies I can think of where 
all that bullshit that people say they're doing to help women in Hollywood movies that doesn't really happen on screen yeah. happens on screen. Right. Like, I mean, from the you're beginning. introduced to this character who the moment she just says, I have an idea. Yep. She is, she is presented with the looks of men that makes her change. I have an idea to, I have a question to being murdered. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that. There, there was so much in there that I enjoyed, like the fact that as soon as she's introduced, she's taking on institutionalized sexism of corporations and government. Like from the big, from the moment gender politics comes into this movie, it, everything it's saying is on point. Yes, and even the fact I tell you, the, like the level of subtlety here that most movies wouldn't even dream of putting in. That's the, the thing. That... There's so much subtlety on all these levels about the duality, about the gender. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, go ahead. But well, I marvel leaves... about that with this movie. That's what I think is the lasting legacy of this yeah. movie, that it does so fucking good. Yeah, and well, hasn't really been done better since in this, no. gen- in this genre of formula. Um, the... She leaves the meeting and she immediately blames herself. I mean, that right. touch of like... It's not just that this sexism exists. It's the fact that it makes that the patriarchy makes women blame themselves. Right. Like turn themselves into the culprits. And like later later on the movie, and again, like another moment where she has this moment where she brutalizes a rapist, which, you know, we've seen that in rape revenge movies Mm -hmm. before. Like that's not a new thing. The new touch is then she turns on the on the, the victim woman, yes, and says, "It says you're part of the problem too." And I'm like, not that I in any way agree with that, but the movie is intelligent enough to complicate this. Like, like, f- like femininity and feminism is not as straightforward as as Hollywood movies let us know. You know, the fact that this movie is actually alluding to the fact that women blame themselves for the awful things that happen to them. And also for the fact they blame each other for the terrible things that happen to each other. And it picks up on both those things. And I am just like, you know, I'm chefs kissing everything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Every, like, uh, you know, there's so many moments in this movie where I'm going fucking great. But it was just, and, but then I thought about it in genre terms as well. Like, like the the 80s movie trope of the kind of w- the woman in the workplace comedy which is where mm-hmm. her story starts like the baby boom working right. girl kind of movie yes, absolutely. it's like a woman trying to rise up in the workplace against you know like uh big corporations and and male executives and just maleness the gender politics of trying yeah. to move upwards in a male world and, th- and then they put that in like a comic book superhero frame and uh you know it 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 twists that genre but it's also recognizably in that genre too i just think it's magnificent you know notice notice this has nothing to do with batman exactly and that's fine but i'm fine i'm totally okay with that and i you know i also one of the things i really appreciate about this movie is even when this movie is it's showing us all of that, but even when it's showing shitty men with shitty behavior, it can still do it in a way that actually is entertaining or makes me laugh. This moment where where she shows back up 
yeah. to Shrek's office after yes. he thinks he's murdered her. Yes. Is fucking amazing where, he, you know, he's leading her in the conversation about, did you fall on that <laughs> on that ski trip you had? And it so made me. Oh, it made me regret of... that they didn't do more movies together. Because every oh, time Christopher yeah. Walken and Michelle Pfeiffer are on screen together, it's they look magic. like they're having so much fun. And then you have this moment afterwards where he said, "Who, who'd have thought Selena would have had a brain to damage? Bottom line, she tries to blackmail me. I'll throw her out a higher window. <laughs> but for now, I got bigger fish to fry. I mean, you know." That's legitimately funny, but but what what's also it's not it's not I mean it is like a but fact it's that it's shitty ad- behavior yeah that is legitimately funny. But we also know where all these villains are coming from, and that is so important, like, right? We know, like, and I and again, like, when a movie like this comes along that does every does things like this so effortlessly, you wonder why every movie can't do it, and they just right. never do. They never do. Uh, but this idea... But that's also, speaking to your love of the third one, that's what pisses me off about the second and third movie. Yeah. Is those movies are just devoid of any of what we're talking about right now. That's certainly true. That's certainly true. You know, and you can go back and forth on which of those is the worst culprit for that. But, sure. Um, and we will. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I wonder if you like... If you ask me now, it's like, what is Shrek's objective? What is uh, Penguin's objective? Well, Penguin wants to find his dad. wants to Wants to find out where he's from. He Does he find... though? Well, no. I mean, that is like, that's more of a ruse, isn't it? Not for a big portion of the movie, and that's what I I love that we. F- I mean, the the cold open. That's makes what he's presenting to the public. That's the one. You know, he's kind of like the the, the but mayor of Nightmare on Elm Street up to a point until he finds out that his parents were a piece of shit. You know, he like he remembers his parents were a piece of shit, and then Shrek throws in the whole mayoral right thing, and that fucks everything up. And Shrek, you know, it's so clear that Christopher Walken is just he just wants his evil plan is just to get his son a trust fund. Yes, but it, but it's, but rather than it being represent, because he's like a twisted version of of Thomas Wayne, basically. Uh, but rather because he's trying well, to pass and all let's this... speak to because you've mentioned it a several several times the politics of this movie, yeah. the idea of this power plant to me is fascinating. I love the fact that the power plant we have plant just looks left like... Ronald Reagan's America. Yeah, in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, and. We are at the end of the first Bush term. We've elected a new president, but this is still... Is that the name of the new Rambo movie, First Bush? (laughs) (laughs) Last Blood, First Bush. Yeah. But but at any rate, I just, I think it's fascinating that, that Max Shrek's want is still steeped in what we have come to know about corporate America. Yeah. And that the, the way and you know, but this movie is kind of connecting the dots between toxic masculinity and millionaire wealth. Yes. Without letting Bruce Wayne off the hook. Yeah. But in a way I I actually think is more interesting than the way uh because one of the things that's really fascinating about the Nolan trilogy is it sets up this idea about 
uh, we're going to, you know, Christian Bale is going to play Bruce Wayne as a rich jerk because it's a good beard cover. Yeah, it's a good cover story. But they, but but that's all it is in there. Here, I feel like what they do with Penguin and like the the way that they make it abundantly clear that he's that these guys mirror what Bruce Wayne is. That this is this is exactly who Bruce Wayne could have been mm-hmm. if something had fallen one way or one the other. One way or the other. Is much more interesting to me. Well, and he has to wrestle with that part of himself of how much of them is he. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and that's not that's not not done in the original movie because right. you know, we learn that joke one of one of the kind of again, something that really pissed the fans off was they, they made they made Jack Napier the killer of Bruce Wayne's His parents. parents. So they had a kind of codependent. The Joker and Batman have a codependence that they didn't necessarily have. Which, for as a movie, written. by the way, is great. <laughs> like, Brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. But but here it here. I mean, not only is it like, you know, different it, mediums. It just kind of. It's it's able to sort of yeah it's able to this movie is able to move between the personal and the political in a way that. I've certainly not seen another superhero action movie do. Oh yeah, and they can do it uh, with just a few lines. Just, you know, they, the 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 manner in which they address these things yeah. can at times be so slight, but mean oh, so yeah. much. You know, it's she, not pro- she it's, it's walking not him to the elevator yeah. and saying, "You don't seem like the kind of man who would do business with Max Shrek." And he says, you don't seem like the kind of woman who would work for a man like that. That says so much about both yeah. their the, the, the people as characters. Definitely. But that's all that's said in that moment. That's it. You know? And th- there's, a, there's, a great, uh, there's a great moment as well. For some reason, it always stands out for me um, when, uh, first of all, you know, it's Catwoman smashing up yeah. a museum. You know, smashing smashing up these kind of not like... not a museum, it's a department store. Sorry, the department store, like yeah. every, sorry, a department store, like everything that objectifies women, she's literally destroying. Right. Which is like, I mean, she's she is a gender activist. Let's face it. Yeah. In that moment, she's not she's not the you know, lady bank robber of later incarnations. And she is confronted by two security guards who say, "I don't know whether to cuff her or." fall in love with her or something like that yeah you know? and and then one of them says our take home is only 15 you know it's yeah. like 1500 and i'm just a like or something and i just remarked to myself it's like there is a lot of like gender like in this whole scene gender is at play Class. the economy is at play yeah. i'm like i'm like i can't think of another movie of this kind that is so rich and dense with this meaning and yet effortless and seamless in how it integrates it Okay, so I, you know, you you are just speaking the words that I love because this, what you're talking about right now, is was my biggest takeaway in watching this movie twice in the last couple of months, month yeah. or last month, and you know, to to this movie's credit, I think it's incredible what it what it does. And we've not even mentioned something that really struck me this time, and I don't know why it hasn't before. Probably because 
it's a debate that we're having so much now that your brain is pre-programmed to think about it. From a very early point in this movie, the media is to blame for a lot of the evils of the fictional yeah. universe. Yeah. Like, the one of the first things that Alfred says is basically, can't trust the media. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what we've spent the last four years talking about. Right. <laughs> and for everything from the kind of media-managed mayoral campaign to, like, um, Penguin's radio play in the sewers that he does to pretend that he's, like, a hero. He's when a he's... hero. I mean, you know, talk about being eerily Like you prescient. said earlier, to your point earlier, his getting caught on tape. Right. He you stage know? manages a terrorist attack. I mean, yes. you can't get more prescient than that in terms of what happened this very year in America. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm just blown away by how insightful, you know, it's also de- deeply depressing because you realize all these things <laughs> are just as common then as they were now and we've done zero about it and we've done zero about it there's a there's you know speaking to this going back to a little bit more to the gender politics but it's connected to the regular politics when he's trying to convince cobblepot to become mayor yeah do you remember what the the, the final selling point was for him no shrek says unlimited poontang yes I everything comes back to like Holy sexual avarice. Holy yeah. shit! This is like. Well, this is also the scene it's where Penguin such an says, adult movie, but you know he says unlimited punte, and he's his response is okay. I'll be mayor. He also says I'll teach her my French flipper trick. Flipper trick, right? <laughs> to Jan Hooks. It's yeah, because like basically the men in these movies, you know, it's no surprise that we have like a 80s, 90s movies where the men are as horny as hell. But this movie turns their objectification of women back on them through the vehicle of Catwoman. Yes, that is a big, big difference. Not only not only is their horniness seen as toxic masculinity, not just like normal guy behavior. First of all, that's right. a big leap already. But the fact is, like they they are punished and meet violence every time that they enact. They, they, you're right, exactly right. These, yes, these char- these behaviors and characteristics is just is just insane. I I I really can't get over, um, just just how it hits the nail on the head. With every interaction, like the broader political picture of what's happening, it that, kind of like even movies that are about this stuff, like don't even do it as that, well. Exactly, where <laughs> even where movies it's the that are central about gender point don't and, get yeah, this right. Exactly, right. And ostensibly, this movie's not about that. It's like about, uh, you know, a fl- in the words of Jan Nicholson, a flying mouse. You know, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah. <laughs> but it's not about that at all. Um, it's in, in, insane. <laughs> but, but, and also, you know, again, to go to that, like, it's not, it's not as straightforward as, you know, we're just like, like castration, you know, of any male sexual heteronormative right. behavior. Sure. Like the fact that Catwoman participates in that culture by, by making her, making her power, so explicitly sexual you know the dominatrix thing which is a right, sort of a, right. 
has always been in the Catwoman image, but here is going full force, full bondage, full S&M, full dominatrix. She literally goes from hello there to hell here. Yeah. As represented by the neon sign on her wall where she smashes out two letters. <clears throat> Which is uh, um, a quotation from the novel of Moonraker by Ian Fleming. But anyway. Um, oh, 46 minutes, everybody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, the fact that she participates in that too is just like an extra layer. And just the overall, I mean, the overall kinkiness of this movie. Mm-hmm. Even the penguins have leather vests. Right. <laughs> but it's but because it's because Tim Burton puts this kind of fairy tale gloss on everything, the most like adult things in the movie, he's able to walk back as being cute and innocent. Like like the poodle with the grenade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's always there's always that interplay, and you know, in Tim Burton's best movies, that's that's absolutely there. It's like the most, um, the most, the sort of, the most taboo human behavior is shown, but shown as something that's that's so kind of charming and innocent at the same time. And he gets that duality just right. I just think. right at every moment, absolutely. and usually with real animals involved <laughs> which is yes, again yeah. if i was going to say it's like what is what is not time you know devil's advocate what's not timely about this movie the amount of real fucking animals in the movie does not feel like something you would do in a modern blockbuster yeah right but apparently like that was tim burton's big anxiety all the time was that the penguins didn't get hurt I mean, oh, okay. I it was also that. his decision to put rocket launchers on them. On but, top of know. their backs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'd say the penguins wouldn't get hurt if you didn't do that. But he was like, the people on set said that he, I remember reading this in a, in a book about Tim Burton once that like he, he was so, every time there was a penguin, he was just like, is it okay? Just check, just check again that it's okay. Check the oh, penguins okay. That, that is really endearing and sweet. <laughs> Yeah, except for the fact that no one said you had to put penguin, like real penguins in your movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take another break and then we'll come back and we will finish out Batman Returns right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. 
And we are back yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing, of course, Batman Returns, the 1992 film. Well, I mean, we were talking about Michelle Pfeiffer, but we kind of just talked around the gender politics of it. The performance itself... Astonishing. ...is... Oscar worthy, I yeah, think. I, I'd have to look up who was being nominated in 1992, but and she wasn't the original choice. It was Annette Bening, right? No, it was Annette Bening, yeah. Which, and the only re- she got, she had gotten pregnant. That's right, yeah. It, it's it's just a masterful performance. I mean, I I can't remember. In addition to everything else that we've that we've talked about, that she executes perfectly, and that and that's the key to this movie is that. That everything that is in the script that's bringing these characters to life, the actors are do are all working towards the same goal. But mm-hmm. partic- but you know, just as a kind of bonus for that, Michelle Pfeiffer is hilarious in this movie. Oh yeah, they they basically give her like for a large portion of the movie, she's like the snarky narrator, mm-hmm. and maybe based on her other roles, I was like, I don't know if she can pull that off like i don't think of her that way she pulls it all off oh yeah there's nothing she doesn't pull off in this movie no but i mean that's a i think in a in a weird way that's like the hardest thing for me for her just to be like commenting on everyone else's behavior in a snarky way Mm because she does that throughout like a lot of the movie and i'm just like wow she is very funny and then she's asked to do like broadly comic things, like when she goes back into her apartment and repeats the same coming Shit. home routine. Yeah, right. That she was a Selena. And like, this is, you know, like in a different actor's hands, this scene falls totally Could have been, flat. yeah, right. Could have been a disaster. And she's funny enough, but also gothic enough in the way, that, melodramatic enough in the way that she plays it. That you're laughing and you're also thinking, boy, this is fucked up. Right. And she smashes her answering machine, which, you know, there's a comment about putting the, you know, trashing what the harm that the 80s did to us in a visual done better. (laughs) I don't know what that is and smashing an (laughs) answering machine. Um, Yeah, I think she I think she's absolutely magnificent. And uh, uh, also, you know, the fact that I mean. One of the th- one of the things that is interesting to me, and I don't dislike it, but it it is anomalous from the rest of the movies, is that she's the only magic character, the only yeah, like there is no scientific explanation for why she becomes Catwoman. No, she's brought back from the dead by being pecked a bit by cats. By by yeah, I was gonna say by being licked and nibbled on by kitties. And, you know, going back to the snarky narrator thing, I thought that Nine Lives was just like a like a joke. Right. But, it t- no. but like by the end of the movie, I'm like, it's no, I think she really does have nine lives. I mean, She's as much as we can them tell, down. yeah, because this is magic. Um, but when you think about, you know, like however ridiculous it becomes, it always errs on the side of science fiction. This is the only legitimately magic character. Mm-hmm. Um. And not that I have a problem with that at all, but it's uh, it did kind of stand out to me. It's like in order to get from from A to B, but I think what kind of makes it okay uh, 
I mean, obviously, Tim being a Tim Burton movie helps. Sure. And being him being on the fantasy side of things helps. Um, but also the fact that like the the the, the character development and change is so clear. That oh, that's yeah. no, kind of yeah. really all that matters, and it's this all, is just, yeah, right, exactly. This is just a workaround for that. Sure. In fact, I almost don't think you need the scene of the cat pecking her at all. I think she should just turn up as Catwoman and be like, "Nope, didn't die." Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, but you can imagine. I mean, you know, you can imagine if even even though she Indiana Jones styles kind of falls through the. The awnings, yeah, which, uh, to whatever extent, broke her fall. She does hit the ground. So you imagine if you don't have the kitty cat scene, you just see her on the ground, and True. all of a sudden she shows up in the office. People, you know, but you know, no one you else need in that his... bridge. Yeah, I mean, you know, that there is again. That's the the thing that sort of irritates fans is when they break out because you know the the Batman universe is more fourth wall than any of the other superhero mythologies it's all about batman can do this in the real world mm-hmm. so it's a li- it's it's a little bit weird again like you know uh, it speaks to again why i don't think the uh, the the focus here is on making a superhero movie and making a batman movie and and you know the magic just kind of absolves all sins basically at this point well, um, there's a lot of sinning in this movie. That I've always found that interesting about Tim Burton's vision of Batman. Batman's yeah. killing a lot of fucking people in these movies. He yes. he throws, you know, dynamite down a guy's pants and throws him into you know, down the into the sewer. Absolutely. That guy fucking dies terribly. <laughs> yeah, I think the I think this movie more than any even the Nolan ones is more unapologetic about Batman's oh absolutely yeah but I think I think they're really they're leaning into that um I find both of the like I find you know the one thing I really like about Nolan like the rules that Batman sets up for himself make that character compelling throughout those movies mm -hmm. but I likewise think the choices that Bruce Wayne slash Batman make in this movie in regards to taking lives in this movie make him just as interesting yeah on the other side of the spectrum i suppose we should we're getting to the end of the podcast we should probably talk about michael keaton yeah uh, who, why not? who plays batman in this movie yes um <laughs> by the way my definitive batman oh you'll get no well no uh, aside from adam west yes um <laughs> but <laughs> i was i mean this when I was gonna, I was, you know, I was gonna pull you up earlier on in the in the podcast on on like a very uh, minor point, which is that you know you said and I have said too, we don't mind that Batman is marginalized to some extent in the movie because he's he's the movie is still a actually it's still in fact, just too cohesive to not yeah, and it 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 you know what it does is it puts. Bruce, it, it still characterizes Bruce Wayne, but it doesn't yes. use Bruce Wayne to do it. Right. That said, I mean, no one, no one at the time knew that this was going to be Keaton's last Batman movie, and that, that you know there were moments where I was like, it's sad that it's the last time he's doing this. Yeah. And that you know, he's cut out of a lot of the movie and all that sort of stuff. Um, and but then the 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 flip side of that is that you know Keaton is character actor par excellence 
So you will never get a bad moment from him. Right. So there's, like, even if he's doing... He's doing really inauspicious things in this movie. There is no big Batman yes, moment. right. Even in, like, the catacly- cataclysmic moments of the movie, it's really Catwoman who's taking the agency. Um, But, so, you know, every little thing he has to do, he executes so well. And I just love... That's the thing, is I think what he does in this movie, he does so well that Batman looms larger in your mind than he is actually in the movie. And that's yeah. part of the magic of this movie. That's one of the things that I think yeah. makes this movie work as well as it does. Yeah, the kind of scarecrow-like fog yeah. that deludes you into thinking that right, he's exactly. in this movie yeah. a, lot more, the, the, a lot more than he is. But... Um, I, I just, I mean, subsequently, you know, when, when he was replaced by Kilmer and then replaced by Clooney, you know, you, you, you sort of see, you think, oh, this is written in a way that Keaton could do this better. Like, again and again and again. But yeah. we'll talk about that when we talk about that. But I definitely, I think I I just thought there was moments here where the subsequent movies like they aim harder for a kind of DC universe totality, like references to Superman and that kind of thing. But what I liked here is like, and uh, you know, Tim Burton's always wanted to make a Superman movie. He got very far into doing that before. before Almost happened. Yeah. Um, I love the fact here that like his Bruce Wayne is pure Clark Kent. Yes. Yes. Unapologetically. And he is exactly the person He's he's both the best Bruce Wayne and the best Clark Kent out there. <laughs> yeah. The scene the the scene with him like awkwardly flirting with Selena Kyle and all his like malapropisms as he speaks. Right. I mean, it's it's great. And I'm just like, you know, and I thought cuz I remember when Christian Bale came out of the gate and he was sort of doing a version of Patrick Bateman for his Bruce Wayne, I thought that right. is great. That is exactly what Bruce Wayne is and no one's ever done it before. Clooney did it a little bit, but I think I don't know if they knew how much of a jerk he was. Um, uh-huh. okay. or it was just written badly. But I love the fact that Keaton goes exactly the opposite tract and plays it as this kind of bumbling alter ego. Love it. I I really love that about his Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And speaking again to the duality, the moment where he's on a date with Selena Kyle, and then you have their duality together. Yeah. Where they're both trying to explain to Alfred why they can't see each other right now. And he's like, tell her I had a big business meeting. No, tell her I had, you know, tell her I I will relay the message, sir. And then she does the same exact thing. I think this movie's pretty lucky in that, I mean, it's lucky to have had Michael Goff, and he seems to work as well with any of the Batmans as, you know, it's all equal because Michael Goff is carrying them in all the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't really matter. But what's genuinely great here is the interplay between them, which is actually not, again, it's not particularly crucial to the movie in no. any kind of plot or character sense. You know, it's like the the scene with the with the Vichyssoise, yeah, I know. This I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm desperately trying to figure out how, how, why this movie, <laughs> this moment would be included. And yes. I'm like, because these two actors are good. Right. That's a good moment for them. That's it. 
That, and that literally, that is it. There's no McGregor complex or nope. Peter yes, Rabbit syndrome. Right, right. None of that. It's cold. It's supposed to be cold, sir. It's fishy. And then, and then, you know, and I think this movie actually benefits from Gremlins 2 having come out a couple of years before. Uh, there's one of my favorite Michael Keaton moments in the movie is where he calls Alfred out for bringing Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Yes! Which is like, the, you know, like the jump the shark moment of the original Batman. And yes. like Gremlins 2, you know, we're giving our first movie notes, logic notes. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and he says, you talk about security, just bring, I just turn I'm around just and Vicky Vale's I'm, in the I'm Batcave. I'm just sitting there working, and all of a sudden Vicky Vale's in the Batcave. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and you know that also to me spoke to another oh, great hi, scene. Oh, hi, Vic! <laughs> another great scene in this movie, uh, which is where um, Batman and you know uh, Bruce Wayne and Selina are sat by the fire in yeah. the, in Wayne Manor, and they basically talk about the cliches of their characterizations. Yes, and I just I I just love that, and I think you know like that ability to see sequels and franchises for like what they are that you're right yeah is is really helpful here but it's just one of the many the self-referentiality of this movie is just at the right pitch just yeah i was not too forced right and not compromising the the organic stuff yeah in this movie which is brilliant i mean you know, we haven't talked much. I mean, Danny DeVito's performance is Okay, so I was just going to say that we've given some light to Catwoman. We've given some oh light to Batman. God. Can we talk about Danny DeVito as the Penguin? I mean, I love... Th- because this is, he's this... like full Danny DeVito. This is what... <laughs> like, I equate it between the, the second and the third movies because... Full Danny, Danny DeVito. D- Danny DeVito is Such a hilarious idea. Full Danny DeVito... But with the mind of the character of Penguin first. He's so committed to that character. is full Jim Carrey with the idea of full Jim Carrey before the Riddler. And that's why the Penguin works so much better than the Riddler in the third movie. You You never lose sight of the Penguin as a character. You never lose sight of, you know, the Burgess Meredith incarnation of the character, which is... Mm -hmm. The the most definitive Batman. He was originally, by the point. way, supposed to. He was going to be his father, but he uh, he was he was so old and and sick at the time. He just they Aww. he couldn't do it. It wasn't yeah. that Tim Burton said, "No, we need a Tim Burton thing." Getting Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, no, it was not that. <laughs> Pee Wee's Adventure was my first movie. Fuck well, em. and I think for for you know, I don't I don't think his performance is broad at all. But I you know no. I. I uh, you know what it is? It's physically committed. Yes. To an extreme. Yes. That it needs. Like the scene, the scenes my of him devouring moment. fish. Yeah, I know. you cannot well, fake that. You no. He is devouring <laughs> raw fish. And he and it's not even like it's no. There's no sense of like like the actor is grossed out by this because no. when people do that in movies, there are even, guttural sounds of enjoyment. Oh. He's going, he's going, yes. the whole time. It's great. But those are the moments where, you, you, again, I think it's completely grounded. Me too. It is. But because Especially it is. the way it's written. Absolutely. But it's, it's, it's 
full Danny DeVito mode and full Penguin mode, right? Yeah. My favorite moment for him is when he and Batman meet on a dark corner right before they both are introduced to Catwoman. Right. And he says, Batman says, enjoying your handiwork. And he's, you know, he just says, you know, a, a concerned citizen out, uh, you know, checking, checking what's going on. Uh, you know, mayor stuff. You're not the mayor. <laughs> and then there's this moment where he said he kind of leans in to Batman and says, you don't think you're going to win, do you? It's so fucking great. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love it. It is not it you know, you you're you're right to make the kind of Jim Carrey contrast because again they try and pull the same shtick of like it's an over the top character, not an over the top performance. No. It's an no. over the top performance. Yeah. Th- that it, it's 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 outdone t- by another out you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um but we'll get and, there. Yeah, and this is I mean, you know this the script uh is really helping here because we've t- taken this character from childhood. We've been with him like longer than anyone else. Um, you know, and we've, we've seen him trying to do something genuine, you know, which is find his, find his family, find his roots, where he's from, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've seen, the, we've seen him kind of foist into a mayoral campaign that he didn't want to be part of. Um, and you know, while I'm not, I don't think that storyline particularly goes anywhere, except to do kind of become like, like a being there. Whack all the it dog does stuff. is get in the way of his uber evil plan yeah. of getting all the you know firstborn children. But that's ignored for a while, so that he could do. Yeah. But the, and that's but taking that slight like it's just it's not he's not established as the villain. In the same way, Catwoman isn't established as the uh, as the villain, or even Shrek. I think it's like you you know what they want, and you know who they are, and they're genuinely multi dimensional. And yes. the uh, but the thing is that I mean, all that means nothing because you could say that about Mister Freeze too. But it's about the it's about the like Ex- execution backstory wise. Yeah, right, like right, the, right, right. The right. actors are executing absolutely all of that. Yes, and. Um, well, but... and that's the thing. You and I talked off mic. I, one of the things I said to you is one of the things I marvel at that this movie does so well, but to the detriment of every single superhero movie that came after it, was the number of villains. We have three villains in this movie. Two Dangerous that we precedent. Kn- yeah. Two, two that we know really well. And it's kind of like, if you look at the IMDb notes on any superhero movie, it will tell you they wanted to do this, but they couldn't fit it in, so they saw it in three or saw it in four. IMDb trivia is littered with those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And this is literally the only superhero movie that has more than one villain that works really well. And again, I think it comes down to emphasis for me because it feels like a magic trick they did it so well. <laughs> well, when you I, see I other mean, movies, I kind of I cuz I think where the script gets a little muddy is in like who's allied with who, what the dynamic's supposed to be, why that dynamic changes. 
all those things happen in Batman Forever. And all those things on paper happen here. But you are just not focused on that element of it to the point where it just almost passes you by. Like... It's almost it's like it's done better in this movie. Well, period. I think, but it, it's it's like it's like a kind of perform. It's a good. This is a good. This is a very on message analogy. It's like a performing dog trick. It's almost like there are scenes in this movie where it's like, okay, we need all the villains in one shot to do a mm-hmm. moment for the trailer. We've done the moment for the trailer. Let's get on with the movie. Like right. it's like the movie stops to do the big trailer moment, and at the end of the big trailer moment, you're like. But I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, like right. it looks good. The penguin flying off on the umbrella. Catwoman's there. Batman's there. They're looking at him. Doesn't move the story on, or doesn't tell us anything about the characters. So it's like, yeah, it's a superhero movie. They want that big trailer moment, but that's like then they get back to doing the the good stuff, which is often them act. I think the movie is strongest when they're all acting separately and not feigning some kind of alliance that doesn't really make any narrative sense um i don't know you know i i i'm i'm perfectly willing to buy into the two biggest baddies in gotham joining forces to try to get rid of batman that makes sense to me it it, it feels to me it feels nailed on to me but it just to me it just portrays where the interest of this movie lies which is not in uh not to do the finer points of the framework they've got, but to take the framework to do something infinitely more interesting with the characters, with the idea of... Su- I mean, it's a psychological deconstruction of of superheroism to me. Mm-hmm. Like, at one point in the movie, they say, you know, I'm tired of wearing these masks. Well, this and once is again, the... I think this idea yeah. of, of, like... I, I, you know, this, I, this, this idea. I love this idea, and I think it's done better than in the Nolan trilogy, like Batman not wanting to be Batman. I love this idea that he's kind of carrying this around, like deep seated, all yeah. the time, as opposed right. to I'm retiring from being Batman like three times a movie, which yeah. is what happens in the Nolan movies. <laughs> and it's like I just love, like I love the fact that that's always there with Keaton's performance. But it's not made a big deal of until they sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Which is when exactly when it would come out. It's like, I got to play all these My roles. My favorite moment. Weird. I in... lose women because of it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> My favorite moment in any Batman movies, in, in any series involving Batman, is when they go to the masquerade ball. You can see everybody is wearing a mask. Except the two people whose masks are their regular faces during the day, yes. Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. And they're dancing together. Meanwhile, like the red mask of death, the red death, like Phantom of the Opera, is on the yeah. stairs behind them. Yeah. And this moment with this great fucking song, Face By to Susie Face. By Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees, playing yeah. in the background, is fucking amazing. And Following an instrumental of Super Freak. Let's yeah. not forget that. But they... This moment where they discover who they are. Yeah. And it's and not, he pulls not her obvious. in closer and she says, What happens now? Do we have to fight? Yeah. It's fucking great. It's yeah. so good. 
That's like, yeah. And I would with take everything that that's going on around them, with everybody, everybody's wearing a mask yeah. at that ball, and they're the only two people not, you know. Two things Tim about Tim Burton has given nothing but thought to every single frame he is putting in this movie. Just as, and you know, we haven't talked much about the product. I think the production design in this movie is as flawless as it gets. Yes. There is more deep. There, there is more intricate production design in the artwork for Oswald Cobblepot's mayoral campaign yes. than there are in the entire production design for most movies. Yes. More thought has been put into that logo for his mayoral campaign than, than goes in like most two-hour movies. That scene is extraordinary. What I love about it, in contrast to what Joel Schumacher does, is it's not not obvious what we're trying to say here. You know, you just laid it out yeah. verbally. It's done well. Yes. It's not just about saying it. It's about executing it properly. Right. And Tim Burton, like, he understands that. And, that, and you know, his, his detailed eye when it comes to production is where that really helps him here. Um, but also, you know, I take that scene over the fake uh, diner scene from Heat in Dark Knight any day. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's more interesting to me. Uh, I mean, apart from the fact that it's a man and a woman and not just two men, that right. helps. But um, it's half as long too. Gets it's get to its point quicker. Oh, for for fucking sure. Um, so, but I yeah. say that as a fan of that scene in Heat, I do like that scene. A fan of that scene in Heat, and a fan of that scene, and a fan of that Dark Knight movie too. But sure. I it, to me, there's just like no no comparison. Agreed. Uh, and it's not hitting you over the head with it. There's only one thing that really infuriates me about this movie. The action movie one-liners? No, I'm okay with that. <laughs> High fiber, eat floor. Yeah. That's bad. Come on, they, they that's should fun. Have, they should have got like a, like an action movie one-liner script doctor in. I, I was just going to say a script doctor to punch up the yeah. the battle jokes. But that no. the, that was just placeholder dialogue. <laughs> anyway, what infuriates you? Okay, you got the, this final scene. Everybody's together. Penguin's there. Penguin's already fallen into the deep, but he hasn't yeah. re-risen yet. Mm -hmm. Max Shrek is there. You've got Selina Kyle as Catwoman, and Batman's there. This is you're going to laugh at this because it seems like such a minor stupid thing. But it just infuriates me that clearly he's got dark makeup on around his eyes. Batman? Whenever he's Batman. And when he tears his mask off. You can clearly see it's not there anymore. So we huh. go from he's got makeup on to He's wearing the mask and doesn't and tears the mask off. And it's only so that it doesn't look weird when he tears his mm. mask off. It drives me nuts. I guarantee Every you, Tim Burton. I see it. I guarantee you, Tim Burton was pushing for pushing for, for the like, makeup. Bruce Wayne eyeliner. And the studio said, no, he can't be a transvestite. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever known Tim Burton not to put black eyeliner on That's someone? That's what I'm saying. Like, how did he miss that? 
It just well, it I just had drives me up the wall. But other I, than that, this whole last scene is fucking great. Like you said, the magic of Selena Kyle. She's getting shot. I love that Max Shrek looks at fucking Bruce. He says, "Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman?" He is Batman, you idiot. <laughs> fucking great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think there's maybe one too many resurrections in that scene, um, but I think it diminishes their threat a little bit for them to to all so easily return to life. But I think that's maybe a a larger question in terms of like a a realism question that I have, and it's not particular to this movie, but I it, it comes up in all of these movies. Why does Bruce Wayne use the Batman voice when it's just Alfred? <laughs> or to anyone who already knows he's Batman. Bruce Wayne is Batman. I couldn't say. It's biz- it's a bizarre convention that I've never Force understood. of habit. It's, it's worse in the it, it, it was worse in the Nolan ones, but right. it, it it's pretty bad here. What do you think uh what do you th- cuz this movie ends on a kind of a weird has a weird non-ending, right? Yeah. In terms of the Batman Catwoman relationship, what did you think of that? I could tell you that I remember my feeling even on the very first viewing in the theater was that seeing Catwoman's silhouette against the moon with the snow yeah felt like an afterthought. Definitely. And I could tell you for a fact that it was. <laughs> yeah. It's not even her. It's not Michelle Pfeiffer. It was an afterthought. They decided to do it after in case she came back in another movie. And it cost them $250,000 just to get that one shot somehow. Remarkably, I don't know how you spend $250,000 on. But it also took Chris O'Donnell four hours to get into his Robin costume, which I also don't understand. I guess there's just things about Hollywood I don't understand. But <laughs> right. But it feels like an afterthought, and it is an afterthought I really I like the moment between him and, yeah. and Alfred though, you know. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, well, sir. Merry Christmas to you, Alfred, and goodwill towards men. I I don't need to mention James Bond at this point because I've already done my re- my reference. I of think. course. Um, but uh, what I kind of I I what I like about this is the sort of franchise continuity element of it. Always ends with Alfred in the limo. Right. Which He's is always from- driving someone. So I like the fact they're still keeping in mind it's like, oh, it might be nice if these movies kind of all end the same way, regardless of what's in them. Yeah. Uh, but I also, but I like the big differences, the fact that, you know, they, they tease the continuation of their relationship, but it's not, you know, in the yeah, previous movie. Yeah, it doesn't movie, bother me. It it's just... not about, but also, I mean, for the gender politics of the movie, if you think about Batman, it's like, is Batman going to get the girl is the big question. And here mm-hmm. it's not even an issue. It's just like it's like is their relationship going to continue or not? Doesn't really define of like is he going to get the sexy hot girl? Yeah, but I don't even I don't equate it to getting the hot sexy girl. I mean, I you know because before, no, that's what this, I'm saying. It's not yeah, that here, right? It's like in the scene before that. I mean, he rips off his mask to say we're the same, you and me. Hmm. Just walk away. I really miss that soft rubber quality that. <laughs> Tim, the Tim Burton Batman costume right. has sorely lacking in later movies. I'll say, um, and also very much more bondage 
uh, yeah. oriented. <laughs> um, it, it's, I mean, again, it's like they're a victim of circumstances here. Uh, that that after sh- afterthought shot probably would have been a better button on the movie if Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton were both going to come back, which they don't, and neither yeah, of them be seen again. Yeah, and that's again. probably part of it, right? Um, so it's a we- you know it's a weird f- it's like. Well, you know, no one knows that this is the end for both of the end of yeah, the road for both right. of them. And so it kind of but I like the fact that they're thinking about, you know, Alfred in the limo is a nice. No, um, I agree. I, I really like that. But all, I mean, bef- you know, to me, the real ending of the movie, because this movie, from as far as I'm concerned, is his is his biography. Pretty much is Penguin's water burial. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's great. That's the sen- That's the big payoff scene for the movie, not the action scene that precedes it. But the well, pe- and also pe- sort of his, uh, you know, right before that, his resurrection from the water, bile dripping from his mouth, bleeding. And it was one too many of those. But I I like that body horror. Plus, you have the great joke of. <laughs> Yeah, he's Batman's back is turned to him and he pulls an umbrella. Batman turns away and he goes, Oh, I grabbed the cute one and then falls over dead. It's fucking yeah. great. I think that's a great joke. It's a great joke, of course. Um Yeah, well I mean, I'm gonna go for a Bond hat trick, but also the the, the countdown <laughs> voice, the German poodle ladies countdown yeah, right, voice. Right, right. Which to me specifically is like a specific reference to I think Doctor No. Where there's this yeah, very yeah, obviously German countdown voice, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but it, again, what what I kind of think like those sequences, it's not that Burton's not interested in them because you don't execute something in such detail when you're not interested in it. Sure, but he wants to change the emphasis, and I love how the kind of slickness and coolness of the action is is undercut by basically animals. <laughs> <laughs> duck, ducks and pe- duck and penguin noises on the radar. The poodle getting the batarang. The sure. poodle getting the grenade. The German poodle. Lady. It's like, it's again. It, I, I love the fact it's like for when you're make you're making a very adult movie, a very kinky movie. But you've because you have kids and animals in this movie, you've always <laughs> have this di- this deniability that it's like yeah, it's just like chitty chitty bang bang or you know right. it's a it's a family friendly movie. It's like you it, even have one of the first appearances by Doug Jones, who will you know become Oscar worthy performances of animals in in later movies. Yeah, <laughs> and I liked I you know I liked how old fashioned you know all the kind of circus Im- imagery was, and that you know it was real animals and um, that it felt. It felt like a different time of filmmaking when the emphasis... I mean, we're coming out of the practical era a little bit. But, but barely. Barely, yeah. Yeah. But certainly Burton is is doing everything As practical as he can, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, have, to go back right to the beginning, I cannot... T- my mouth... My jaw dropped when I saw the model shot of Gotham City at the beginning of this movie when it says 33 years later mm-hmm. I was like I don't think it, it I don't think it looked this good before I don't think it's going to look as good since I haven't yeah I we haven't talked about it but this is my favorite incarnation of Gotham City as this movie and it's basically 
the from the metropolis from the movie metropolis yeah the 1920s totally i'm fine with that and i'm totally (laughs) and there's no but it it, that's the thing about like internal it's very uh weimar republic yes (laughs) but it was it's just like it's so consistent like the i think the problem with subsequent gotham cities even i think to an extent in the nolans as well is like the identity of the city keeps changing architecturally, stylistically, mm-hmm. all those things. This, even a little bit in the first Batman, this one, like, oh, it's just mid-century America. Yeah. Like, it's, but, you know, but it looks like 1920s Germany. Yes, right. <laughs> and that that is basically it. And it it's it's perfect. And its identity never changes. Like the city right. is, you know, that cliche of the city is a character, but it's a plausible character. Yes. You know, in the, abandoned if, if, if in the city next is a character movies. in the next movie, it's yeah, got right. a lot of fucking issues. You need to take some schizophrenia medication. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like Nolan's was like, Gotham City could just be Chicago. Let's just do that. And then we <laughs> filmed too much in Chicago, so let's go to Pittsburgh. Right. Um,. So I love, so, I mean, that on its own, I think makes this, a, you know, a cinematic masterpiece. The fact that that's the tip I, of the iceberg. I is, agree completely. I mean. I uh, fucking love this movie. And I would watch a whole movie of Christopher Walken acting with penguins. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, when I saw that, I was when like, I'm up for in, a whole movie of this. When he gets in the rubber ducky. Twice he tries to put his finger in a penguin mouth. To my delight. You twice, that's right. I think I think they I think they serious speaking of Jim Carrey, I think they seriously miscast Mr. Popper's penguins. I think that should have been walking all the way. With real penguins. That'd have been fucking great. Alright, anything left for you? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've we've covered all the bases. I, I guarantee you there's a layer of this movie that is equally as fascinating that we've not penetrated, but that's just the kind of movie but it is. But that's how deep this fucking movie is. Ladies and gentlemen. The fact that it ends with, like, a biblical murder of all the children in I know, Gotham City. Right. Talk about prescience, children in cages. My God. They really did play that down. Because they were this close to getting an R rating. So, ladies and gentlemen, hey, reach out. If there's anything we missed on Batman Returns, you go ahead and let us know. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We are going to see you next time for... Batman Forever. Hoofa. What I will describe as a step down. Say goodbye, Tom. Just the pussy I've been looking for. (laughs) Perfect. Until next time.